So I've been debating what to talk about, and I just decided during Zazen, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot, but I hadn't completely decided to talk about it tonight, so I don't have notes. So we'll see. And I want to invite you, both you folks on uh, Zoom and everybody here, to ask questions or to comment or contribute what you would like. Um, if I am unclear, please uh, raise your hand and say, could you say that another way or whatever does it for you if I use jargon and it's not clear, let me know. The one word that might uh, surprise you is disporting. I'm going to talk about the uh, Dogen's Bendo Wa, wonderful, wonderful thing. This, this book contains translation and commentaries and so on, so the Bendo Wa itself is not a book. It's pretty long because it, it includes a lot of questions and answers. It's the talk on the wholehearted practice of the way by Ehe Dogen. Is there anybody here who does not know who Dogen was? Okay, don't be shy. So the word disporting is disporting. And it's one of those words that may, may be in your reading vocabulary. I don't know. It's probably not. Uh, it's sort of obvious what it means, but I'm not sure. And I'd rather mention it now. So when I read it, when I read the introduction to the Bendoa, it doesn't distract you. Um, another, we could say frolicking. They were they, the the dolphins were disporting in the sea, you know. And I, I was thinking, oh, that's how I always picture it with the dolphins' porpoises, you know, going up and down. And it, it's quite looks to me quite joyous, you know. And they're, they're they're playing and playing with each other, and sometimes they play with boats, and sometimes they actually play with people. So that's disporting. The bendoa. And its concept of what's called Ji Ju Yu Samai, which means <laughs> it's it's uh, it's really hard to define it. Uh, the samadhi of self enjoyment or self fulfillment. Uh, G is self, Ju is receive or accept, and U is function or use. And Zanmai means samadhi, really concentrated meditation. But for us, not concentrated on a thing, but simply really sunk into the quiet of mind and body both. So self-enjoyment, fulfillment, accepting its function, receiving, and the talk itself is about mostly about zazen. And 
recommending sadhana. The, uh, the uh, translators, Taigen, Dan Layton, and Shohaku Okamura, point out that this is not the self that has an object. It's not the self that you think of as the subject and an object. There's nothing other than or outside of this self. And I would add, it is not the capital S self what we sometimes call the big self. This is written, this is small s self. Which for us, it's it, in some sense, it, that is the uh, subject, where I'm the subject of my life. Right? And then I, I of course, think that everything <laughs> circles around me. And you mistakenly believe <laughs> that it circles around you. Mary, is that the small S self? <laughs> is that the big S or the small S? The small S self, I, I think, believes that the world revol revolves around her. So they're talking about it in, in a, 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 a different way, and, and I've been chewing on this and I am not sure that I have the definitive understanding of it. I have a provisional understanding of it. And I, I know both of these people. I know Taigen, I know, no, I know Shohaku. I know Taigen much better. But I've been already, um, I started to say pestering. I, I think it's more dignified than that. But I've already been, uh, imposing on him about a bunch of other things. So I didn't want to impose upon him yet again. If anybody wants to ask me in six months, because I figure about a month from now I can, I can impose again. He's very generous with his time and his responses. So I, I am, this is a, like a caveat at the beginning that I'm not sure that I, well, I'm sure I don't have a definitive response to this or explanation. I'm sure nobody has the definitive response. And I think that, <laughs> I think I'm on to something. I think that I have a sense of it. But ask me in six months after I asked Tygen, and you know, he's very nice, so he won't start laughing at me. And as I say, I've been thinking about this quite a bit uh, as you may know, my teacher, Sojin Mel Weitzman, died a year and a half ago, and his funeral's been postponed because of COVID, and it will now be on Sunday, the 19th of June. So what is that, two weeks from now? Uh, at Green Gulch Farm, and also live-streamed. I imagine it's going to be, they're going to be, I, I don't, I'm a mourner, I get... I get priority, I suppose. At any rate, uh, so it's been on my mind because he loved this. He loved talking about Jijuyu Samai. And he talked about it a lot in different, in different ways. 
It's also sometimes called the king of samadhi, but I'm not a big fan of that way of talking about it. So I just want to read you the first two paragraphs of this of this text. This is the opening paragraphs. All Buddha Tathagatas together have been simply transmitting wondrous dharma and actualizing Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, incomparable awareness, for which there is an unsurpassable, unfabricated, wondrous method. This wondrous dharma, which has been transmitted only from Buddha to Buddha without deviation, has as its criterion, Jijuyu Sanmai. For disporting oneself freely in this samadhi, practicing zazen in upright posture is the true gate. Although this dharma is abundantly inherent in each person, it is not manifested without practice. It is not attained without realization. When you let go, the Dharma fills your hands. When you try to speak, it fills your mouth. It is not limited to vertical or horizontal. Buddhas continuously dwell in and maintain this Dharma, yet no trace of conceptualization remains. Living beings constantly function and use this dharma, yet it does not appear in their perception. Disporting oneself freely could also be translated as play freely. So, you choose. Disporting freely in the dharma and the, the key is upright sitting in zazen. Upright sitting can be done in a chair. It can be done lying down. One time Sojin was talking about it, and my friend Judy Smith, who is a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, you know, an electric wheelchair, and I don't know if you, you look at people in wheelchairs, you can't sit up real straight you know, because of your being strapped in and so on. They're just, they're just, just sort of, what is this, concave a little bit. And Judy raised her hand and said, what about people like, I can't, I can't assume the posture. And Sojin looked her right in the eye and he said, I think you have the posture. I think you have the posture. So it's about wholeheartedness and your approach to it. So if you have an intentional posture that you put your attention on maintaining and you stay with your body, that's the posture. It is easier, it's easiest, I think, to sit full lotus if your knees and so on can, can stand it. That's the easiest on your back. And from there, it gets less easy on, on your back and maybe on your knees and whatever. But um, cross-legged positions are more comfortable than, say, I know all these positions. I can't do them anymore, but I know. 
so sitting seiza is less, you know, on a kneeling bench is less comfortable than, than uh, and a little less stable than cross-legged. And sitting on a chair is difficult. It's not easy to maintain the posture when you're sitting on a chair. It's because it's easy to it's easy to slump, and it's easy to pull your back out because your hands are resting on your lap. And then before you know it, they're not just resting on your lap, you're leaning on your hands and you're pulling your back out of whack and pretty soon it's really, your back starts to hurt. And then if, you're, if you sit up really straight and really honor the curve in your lower back and don't lean back against the back of the seat and so on and so on, uh, the back pain sometimes, often, goes away. It's difficult because it's sort of, you know, so easy to just lean back and just sit in the chair. And I, I'm happy to give chair posture instructions afterwards if you want. I don't want to go on and on about it. I have a great deal of experience sitting in a chair, though now I sit on a bench not unlike Jim's. That wholeheartedness, wholeheartedness is key. Putting your intention on paying attention to your breath and your body. And letting go of everything else. But, I want to say two things at once. Yourself, the small s self, remains. You know, you, you have to have it. Somebody is telling you, oh, check your, check your posture. Your mudra fell apart. Somebody is telling you, oh, balance, balance your head on your spine again because your chin is sticking out or your head is falling forward. Somebody, somebody is noticing. Somebody is saying when you get on the train of thought, somebody is saying, excuse me, Let's come back to the breath. And it isn't like you don't need to say that. You just you just know it. The same way I'm going to say to you, you know, put your attention on your left knee. You just did that. You didn't think about it. Unless my sister used to have trouble remembering right from left. So she was left-handed. So you'd say that and she'd have to go, you know, and oh, that feels easy, so this must be my left side. But most of us know that easily. And you don't talk to yourself when you do that. You just put your attention there. And the same in Zazen, you don't have to have a conversation with yourself about rebalancing your head. You just kind of notice or, you know, sometimes Mel said that he used to, he gave himself Zazen instruction every time he sat down. And he just went through a checklist and I give myself Zazen instruction during Zazen with some regularity. Reminding myself, you know, or just, I just notice and I, and I uh, sit up straighter. And I keep my shoulders down. And I, you know, Reb used to check posture and he would check, um, I mean, he may still, I just don't see him much anymore because I don't live at San Francisco Zen Center and have not since 99. So 
at any rate, he used to sometimes like put his stick against the base of your spine and then hold it against your back to see if you're really sitting up straight and also probably notice if you were honoring the curve in your lower back. And then in later years, a few times I sat with him, he would come by and he would like, he would take my shoulders, he would just take me by the, my shoulders here and he'd just sort of lift up. And I don't know if that's what he was doing with everybody or what because one, one doesn't turn around. Paying attention to zazen and paying attention to the posture is wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness coming back, not getting distracted. And when you're distracted, coming back without adding a bunch of junk on top of it. You know, oh, I can't do this. I never get it right. I'm always, I just can't do. I can't do this, and I, I'm such a failure. Uh, it's all extra. Just come back. We all think. It's, it, the problem is getting tangled with the thinking. And I think the problem of the small self is getting tangled with whatever's going on. Um, Mel used to say, I, I don't, I, this is the, the, the beach ball that I'm about to use. I think that's mine. I don't remember his talking about it. But the ego is, we, what we have is this big beach ball in front of us. You know, right here, there's a, carrying a beach ball. It doesn't need to be so inflated. He would say, it just needs to be over here to the side, maybe a small cantaloupe, so it can do its job. But we inflate it. And years ago at Tassahara, I had a really graphic image. And this is the kind of thing that, that comes it, uh, organically as a, a thought, but it's not even a thought. I mean, it's just something you know in your mind's eye. Maybe you sort of almost see a picture. So it wasn't it wasn't a film that I was directing. Anyway, I just had this sense that I was carrying this heavy bag in front of me, you know, right against my hara, and it was uh, full of shit. My shit. And uh, and I realized that I did not want to let it go. I didn't want to set it down because it was mine. It was warm. It was protecting me. And I didn't know what would happen if I did set it down, even though it was heavy and it smelled bad. And there arose with that a, a sense of liberation and joy because implicit in all that was setting it down. I have to tell you, I don't remember setting it down. But just the, uh, the image and the accepting that I was that attached to my shit Um, it was felt liberating. It was it was uh, 
I'm going to say confessing. Confessing isn't really the right word, and if you have some other... But it was, it was an acknowledgement of this, and then that made it easier to lay it down. I, I can't say that I laid all of my shadow or whatever down for the rest of my life. I've exhibited it many times since. But that, that letting it go, that is zazen. That is setting down the inflated in that, or full stuffed uh, ego and just letting the little part that you need in order to function, just allowing it to be there, allowing it to accept its function without adding anything extra. You can ask yourself, what would that, what would that be like? Just sitting without anything, without anything extra. You've probably had that experience. You may not have called it that during a one-day retreat, maybe, or whatever. There are times it's not that unusual. There are times when you just have the sense of there is just sitting. Not I'm sitting, just sitting. Not I'm breathing, just breathing, just breath breathing. That's not uncommon. It might last for two seconds. It might last for a couple days. That's wholehearted practice of the way. And you're aware the small self is operating, but it's not directing, it's not in charge. Thoughts may arise, but they are like, almost like a soap bubble. And uh, it doesn't, I've had times when the, it didn't even complete itself, the thought. It was like a sentence started and then went away. And I, I, I didn't care at all. It was just another soap bubble, I guess. I believe that that's the kind of zazen that he's talking about, where the small self is operating, but it's operating correctly. I'm not a big fan of that word, but it's just doing its thing. Like you're, uh, there's just breathing, there's small self selfing. But without I, and without being troubled by the, the uh, thoughts that come and go. Because you know, Uchiyama says, right, that thoughts are brain secretions. You have other secretions, you know, you're, sometimes you're sitting and your stomach rumbles or whatever. Secretions are going on all the time. Well, brain secretions happen. And then we build on that. But we don't have to. He says, you know, this dharma, zazen in upright position, is the true great. Although this dharma is abundantly inherent in each person. It is not manifest without practice. It is not attained without realization. So it is our, our practice over and over and over again, 
sitting zazen, noticing if you're sitting upright, noticing if your head is forward, noticing if your knees uh, are unsupported. It's a good idea. If you sit cross-legged and your knees don't come all the way down to the mat, put a support cushion or a zafu under them so that you're, you're really supported, you're grounded. Practice. You think, how many times have you let go of a thought? Or many thoughts. How many times? Over and over and over. And it does get easier. And as we practice that, and we're practicing letting go, we're practicing, and we're practicing deflating that beach ball. It gets easier to manifest our small self in the world. When you do mess up, it's easier to apologize. You know, it's easier to say simply, I'm sorry I was rude. You know, without needing to discuss it or justify yourself or explain to the other person how they were wrong. It's easier, or it's easier to say, I was hurt or I felt rejected. That one is very hard for us to say, but it is easier we practice and so that we don't, we're not so bound up in our egos and we're not so needing to uh, protect something that doesn't need protection. It is not manifested without practice. We, we are afraid, I think, if we let go to that extent, if we really let go in our zazen and are simply present, and then we go out in the world with that availability, we're afraid that we'll be vulnerable. I think there's a real deep fear of being vulnerable. And one of the great things I learned from Sojin was about the difference between vulnerable and open. This kind of zazen is open, not vulnerable. If you think about it, when we say, I feel vulnerable, there is a, there is a connotation and implication that we feel vulnerable to attack. You know, I feel vulnerable to something. Something is going to poke me or whatever. And when I'm open, I'm just open. That's all. And I think of it as the gesture being, I can't see myself on there, so I don't know, anyway, an open hand. And it's a little scary to put your hand out there open. You know, you want to close it up or at least you know, protect it a little bit or put it under your arm. <laughs> so it is not manifested without practice. The small self can't simply function in the world without practice. And it is not attained without realization. I'm not entirely sure what he means by that. But at least part of it is that this simple functioning is supported by our understanding of 
the process of letting go, maybe understanding the fruits of letting go. You know, we talk about not having attainment, so I read that and I, part of me cringes a little bit. But I do think there needs to be some uh, realization and you, you reach that, I, I think in large part, by experiencing the fruits of this kind of meditation, having experience in your own heart and mind and body of being open and surviving, of experience of accepting that you are deeply committed to the bodhisattva way. I'm reminded of the chapter in the Lotus Sutra. Sometimes the early chapters are parables. And there's one sometimes called faith discernment. And I sometimes think of it as the prodigal son. And this kid is born in uh, India to a uh, family of great wealth and, and nobility, maybe a Raja. And he grows up spoiled and becomes dissolute to such an extent that he runs away from home and he forgets who he even is. He's been doing a lot of drugs, I imagine, and drinking and you name it. And he becomes a vagabond and he, he stops uh, living so hard, but he's still, you know, he's, he's just sort of a bum and he gets work where he can and he doesn't know he still he doesn't know who he is or anything, and he happens back to his father's uh, land, and his father is outside that particular day receiving tribute from people that live in his Raja country, whatever, and and the father sees the son and recognizes him and is overjoyed because he'd been searching and searching and could never find him. And so he sends some retainers to bring his son to him and they go and as soon as they touch the young man, he just falls on the ground and he's screaming and frothing at the mouth and crying out, no, 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 I didn't do anything. Don't hurt me. No, no, no. And the father says, hey, just leave him, leave him be, follow him back to the village and find out where he's staying. So they do. And then his father sends an emissary to offer the young man work, shoveling shit in the stables. But he's, you know, he says, you can, it's honest work and we'll pay you and we'll give you clean clothing and we'll feed you and so on. And so the young man accepts it. And he actually works pretty diligently and his father comes sometimes and works beside him but doesn't say who he is. And then the young man gets you know, cleaner work and better work and maybe easier work and he gets paid a little more and his clothes are better. And eventually he works his way up to being working in the palace and then he becomes the major domo of the whole thing. And he knows everything. It's, you know, he keeps all the books and you name it. And one day his father takes him to the treasure room and opens the door and he says, 
I think you're ready to believe this now. This is all yours. You are my son. And then he can believe it because he worked so hard. Do you understand? I think of it as exercise, excuse me, <coughs> exercising his faith muscle. So he got stronger. And of course, it's not about mountains of lapis lazuli and garlands of <coughs> uh, pearls and piles of gold. You know, it's about your true nature as a child of Buddha or as a Buddha or Buddha-like, however you want to think about it. So we keep practicing and exercising our faith muscle and come to some realization of the power of Zazen and the power of letting go and the power of allowing that beach ball to deflate. I have a great image. You know how if you untie a balloon, how it just takes off? That's my idea of a beach ball. Like, you know, couldn't you just... They usually have a, a valve or something and you open it up, you know, will it take off? Will it fly? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. So this disporting oneself freely comes from sitting zazen in upright posture, wholeheartedly sitting zazen, wholeheartedly sitting in an upright posture, and coming back and coming back and coming back, and saying to the the little self over here, the little cantaloupe, you know, there, there, it's okay, calm yourself, because it's not, it's not. It's not about uh, zoning out in em emptiness. It's not about turning off. It's not about pretending that you don't have, that you are not, or that you are not a small self. You are, you have, we are, I am. And it's useful, it's just that I inflate it or it gets sticky or how you, know, you can think of a million images but there's great joy in sitting down and letting go of all of these smaller concerns there's great joy in this and I think that's self-joyous samadhi self-actualizing samadhi and so on, all those different words. So that's what I'm going to ask Tigan. <laughs> uh, that is how I understand it now. And I just want to emphasize how much joy there is in it. These are hard, hard times with so many people murdered and so many people murdering. One of the parents of one, one of the many children that have been killed in the last few years uh, said, there are two kinds of people. There are uh, 
good people and good people in pain. But I think that kind of acceptance, I, mean, I have no idea what her practice was, if any, but for us, we can come to that with acceptance. We don't have to hate. We don't have to give in to anger. I mean, we don't have to act from it. We may well feel it. I certainly do. But that doesn't have to be the main thing. And it sure should not be the place from which we act. And Zazen helps us. Reb says sometimes that uh, Zazen protects, protect, in some sense protects other people as we see ourselves clearly and, and calm our monkey mind. You know, we're less likely to act out. So I think that's a good image. But wholeheartedly. And if you can't do wholeheartedly 100%, do 70% wholeheartedly. So thank you. So do you have questions or comments or some completely other definition of this or understanding of it? Uh-huh. Well, thank you, Mary. I, you know, we've studied Bendua before, but you put it in a slightly different light than than maybe you know we were studying it. The way you emphasized uh, right at the outset. I mean, that stayed with me your whole talk. Mm-hmm. This is about the small self, and 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 I, what I take you to. Um, thank you, and and what I. You know, my understanding of what you're saying is that we're working with, you know, in the upright posture, we're working with our karmic consciousness, letting go, letting go. And that's the small self. Now, does the big self, big mind, does that come into the picture at some, uh, you know? Uh, I don't want to shift the focus of your talk, but it's something that I've been yeah. I've been wondering as you were talking. Well, the thing is that they're not two. Yeah. So yeah, it's always there. Yeah. It's always there. I just, I, I don't know what Dogen meant, but but they're really good translators and so on, and they did not use a capital S self, and so. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know, but the big self is always there, and and uh, what does he say about? Um, Living beings constantly function in and use this dharma, yet it does not appear in their perception. So, you kind of you have you you kind of accept it with respect and gratitude, but you don't you know you don't you're not aware of the big self selfing, and occasionally you might you might have an enlightenment experience and a sense of it, but as soon as you conceptualize that, you're back with your small self. Because you have to be. So, and that's how we, that's how we live. But you then have, if you have such an experience, you have some intuitive understanding of something that, I don't know, what's a good word, like you know, that's something that underlies or animates 
or contains your practice because the small, the big S self is everything. So of course, of course it's, it's always here, but I can't touch it. I, I, okay. I, I appreciate your comment there. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Sure. Jim, and then I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, but you. <laughs> That's Cody. Cody, Jim Cody. So um, I think what I was stimulated to, I was going to say something else, but now after Larry talked, I want to say something else. So okay. I think I'll talk about it. Uh, it's, 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 um, I think it's, it's a pivotal comment in there that um, we're always, um, you know, coursing within what does it say? What does it say? We're, we're coursing within the wondrous dharma, or something that, but just, but it does not occur. It does not. Uh, uh, well, Buddhas continuously dwell and maintain this dharma, yet no trace of conceptualization remains. We, however, oh. and then it says, living beings constantly function in and use this dharma, yet it does not appear in their perception. All right. That seems like. Um, so it seems like an important um, statement right there. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems to me like, uh, on one hand, you know, Buddhas and sentient beings don't meet. Right? They don't meet. But um, uh, but yet we have a relationship. Mm-hmm. We can have we have we can have a relationship somehow, mm -hmm. and but 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 uh, but but whatever we think about that relationship <laughs> is occurring within our perception, and so it's always slightly missing the mark or something. Well, yeah, it, uh, I don't want to get too far into my understanding of Vasubandhu and Nagarjuna, but I think that you know the. The way we perceive things is, is partly how we create a sense of self. And liberation is deeply and completely accepting that we live in a world of conceptualization and that we're kind of making it up and that we can't ever see clearly. You know, I remember uh, Barbara Cohn asking Reb one time about, we were studying this kind of stuff, and Barbara said, is that what they mean by the hazy moon of enlightenment? And he said, yes. So you don't know, and you can know for a moment, maybe a lot. I'm, I'm always a little suspicious of some of the enlightenment stories with huge explosions and bells and whistles and whatever, but... Uh, you can you can know for a moment, but you don't know you know until you start conceptualizing it, which you do almost immediately. And we have the, our liberation is in accepting that fact and stopping grasping after something that we can't 
we can't grasp with this conceptualizing mind that we have. Is that responsive? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I just I do feel I feel that there's a teaching there that there is a discontinuity between um, sentient beings and Buddhas. Um, and uh, and uh, but 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 nevertheless, you know, we we all live within the pure mind of Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is part, to me, this is just part of the mystery that we just have to live with or uh, uh, um, study for the rest of our lives. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what I, I said. I'm sorry, I can't remember your name either. Larry. I, that's what I, I mean, I think that's what I just said to Larry, but maybe it didn't come across that way. I don't know. Cody. And it's, it's 10 of 9, so if you actually want to ask something, you better, you better not hesitate. Uh, thank you for your talk. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. Um, the opening line is always kind of irritated isn't the right word, but unfabricated wondrous method it just seems like such a contradictory statement, unfabricated and method. <laughs> but it's one of those Dogen things that when it comes to experience, um, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I just thought that was funny. But... Um, the one thing that, that kind of came up for me uh, at the beginning of your talk, I really appreciated how you were talking about even when you're sitting, that the, the very act of noticing things about your attention is part of the small self. I've never, I've never considered that before in terms of who's the one that's coming back to the, you know, saying, come back to the breath. Or, mm -hmm. um, so I really appreciated that. That's such like a fine-tuned detail that I, I haven't considered before. Um, my question, though, is um, on the one hand, it's it, it, it kind of relates to that, that statement, like unfabricated method. It's both contradictory and yet we seem to do it in experience. When we settle down, there's a letting go of directing of attention. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the, the dropping into being, if you will. But I, I guess sometimes I get... There's a point at which where I can shift over into just not being present, but thinking that I'm letting things be as they are and going into memories or, or thoughts, but <laughs> yeah. just thinking that, oh, well, I'm just being. But then the act of bringing, coming back to that moment, in a sense, it just kind of triggered me. Well, at the set, in, that, in some regards, I'm, that's the small self coming back to the present moment. So am I, am I falling into being more? It's kind of a confusing point. Right? Body is key. Pay attention to your body. You, you know... Uh, I talk sometimes about when a thought arises organically and, and I allow it I allow it to unfold and as soon as I notice that I'm directing this movie 
I stop. And the, the example that, that I've been using more recently is that the feeling that you have when you're in the process of waking up but you're still dreaming and you, you're kind of aware that you're dreaming and you're, you're kind of watching the movie or listening to the tape of your dream. And then you wake up a little more and you start making choices and directing it. And you can feel that in your body. And it's that making choices and directing, that's the small self getting in the way. And you know, sometimes thoughts just arise organically or, or scenes arise organically and they're very useful and insightful, but you don't need to talk to yourself about it. And you don't need to stick with it. You had the insight. So come back to your breath and your body. That you're the only one who's inside your own body that can decide, you know, is this something I should allow it to run or am I just <laughs> entertaining myself? And and it's it's pretty clear. I mean, I, I know I can feel it because I can feel if once I start directing or leaning into it or feeling a sense of, urgency or wanting to control it or whatever, that's the time to let it go like any other thought. Okay, so I think that the, your body tells you. And I, yeah, and I resonate with that feeling of like that tugging, that, that mm -hmm. tugging into experience. Yeah, well, um, Alan Sanaki talks about that, about the, the, you know, those of us with control issues about this, you know, you can just feel it in, in here in your gut, this urge to lean in, the urge to fix it, the urge to whatever, and it's so clear. You know, if you're paying attention to your body and you, if you know where your breath is at that moment, it'll tell you, it'll tell you. Maybe what's more the trickier part for me is, is the other end of the spectrum where it's not so much of a tug into experience, but the, oh, the, the feeling of it being, you know, uh, like a cozy, dispassionateness towards experience. Yeah, well, don't worry. The, the universe will give you a dope slap pretty fast. <laughs> so anybody else? <laughs>